Hello and welcome back to the Rich Mind Podcast. And today I'm coming to you with a very special episode. We're going to get into a series of episodes with my good friend Joel Solomon. And we're going to talk about stocks. We're going to talk about stock trading, actually taking control of your trades and your money. So as you know, here on the Rich Mind Podcast, I'm a huge advocate of taking control of your money and your mind. And what a better way to do that than learn how to actually analyze and pick stocks versus just turning your money over to someone that doesn't really even know you, doesn't necessarily even care, is probably collecting a bunch of fees that you aren't even aware of. So the idea with this series that I'm doing with Joel is I want to help you take back control of your money. And with doing that, who knows where your life could go from here. So I hope you find this episode super valuable. I'd appreciate some feedback once you're through it and let us know what you think. But the idea is that we're going to start from the beginning and teach you how to become an effective stock trader. So if that sounds like something that you're wanting and needing and excited about, we're excited to bring it to you. Let's jump in the episode. Are you looking for true personal freedom? The freedom to design a life you truly desire? Then you're absolutely in the right place. True personal freedom comes from when you take 100% responsibility and control of your money and your mind. Here, you're going to learn ideas, tips, and wisdom that's gonna help you bridge the gap from where you are now to your dream life in the future. My name is Randy Wilson, and welcome to the Rich Mind Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rich Mind Podcast. And today I've got a super exciting episode for you. This is going to be a, a money series. Like if you've been along with the Rich Mind Podcast for any amount of time, you'll know that my big thing, my big, what I'm trying to present to you, the listener and, and the follower is the idea that you've got to take control of your money and your mind. And those two ideas and concepts is where I got the rich mind name from, right? Uh, and with that, financial education is crucial uh, if you're going to be able to take and get some personal freedom in your life. And so in the next few weeks, and it really will depend on, on how it goes, we're, we're really going to be looking for some feedback uh, from you, the listener. But I've got on a special guest. He was actually a guest, uh, actually for the podcast and interview that I did back on episode number 45. I've got today with us Joel Solomon, and Joel is a prosperity coach. He's a best-selling author of the Nine Money Rules Millionaires Use and Mindful Money Management. He's also an award-winning speaker. He actually has a TEDx talk. How many of us out there can say that we've got TEDx talks out there? I actually looked it up today. He's got 51, like 51 or 52,000 views on this TEDx talk, which I would recommend that you go uh, see that. The title of it is How to Create Money Miracles. He's appeared on TV with CEO Money. Uh, he's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Newsday, U.S. News and World Report, Forbes, Bloomberg Radio. Uh, the list goes on and on. And the thing that the reason why I'm super excited about bringing him on here to talk about some financial education today is that back in 2012, he, he fulfilled a lifelong dream of his, which was to create a, a hedge fund. This gentleman has created a hedge fund of his own, meaning he's been responsible for and traded 
the stock market in a way that most of us can't even fathom. I was having a conversation with, with a close relative of mine just a couple of days ago, and he was trying to explain to me about picking this and picking that. I'm like, dude, this is like at a whole nother level. So I'm super excited about that. So in 2012, he created his own hedge fund called Salor Moore, which is uh, named after his daughters, which I'll have an, uh, give him an opportunity maybe to talk about that. But he managed over $700 million and a long and short equity and credit portfolio for Citi, uh, Citibank. Uh, and he, he also, one of his biggest uh, claim to fame is even in the 2008 crisis, he always had a positive return. He never had a negative return, even through the worst times of the 2008 crisis, which is why I'm super excited to bring him on here today. We're going to talk about the stock market. Uh, if you can't tell by that little intro, uh, one thing that to be quite honest with you, I'm not very uh, knowledgeable when it comes to stocks and picking stocks and knowing uh, where to, to even begin that process. And so the idea that I had that I presented to Joel, which is why we're here today, is to what if we came on and you basically brought to us some key topics, some key terms that will help us learn how the big guys do it out there in Wall Street. And he was up for that. And I was like, let's go, let's hit record. So here we are today. Uh, he's going to present with, to us a topic. Uh, and then we'll kind of go back and forth with some questions. I hope you find this very valuable. But I'm going to quit talking now. And I'm going to turn it over to Joel, at least let him introduce himself a little bit. Uh, and super excited about this conversation. So Joel, with that long winded intro, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much, Randy. Again, uh, extreme honor and pleasure to be here. I, I'm really grateful, so grateful for you. So thank you. So let's talk first about the name of the company, Salomore, uh, named after my daughters, uh, Lore for Lauren, Moore, M-O-R for Morgan. Uh, and, uh, you know, everything's around family. My daughters are now, they were just born yesterday, but they're now 19 and 17. It goes like that. Uh, Lauren's uh, going about to be a sophomore in at Syracuse University. Uh, Morgan is already on her path to being a doctor, and she's uh, it's it's pretty amazing what she has uh, accomplished already uh, before be even even being a senior in in high school. Uh, she has written two research papers with medical doctors. She's her name is on these research papers. She has. She went to Berkeley this summer, this past summer, to to study uh, EMT. She's already a certified EMT trainer in uh, in Greenwich, Connecticut, and she currently is studying at Rutgers, uh, doing with a, a she's doing uh, DNA analysis and coding and sequencing. Uh, with 49 other very special uh, children who are 16, 17, 18 years old. So uh, I got some awesome kids and I'm really grateful uh, for them. They're caring, thoughtful, communicative, easygoing, and really intelligent. So it's uh, I'm, I'm glad they, their souls chose me in this lifetime, <laughs> as I that's, put it. Yeah, that's super cool. That's awesome. Uh, I, so yes. Our kids are just the greatest. Yeah, so let's talk about the stock market first overall, because you hear that term a lot. And what is the stock market? Uh, it's a place to buy stocks. It's a place where you can make a lot of money. 
You can speculate, you can gamble, but I recommend getting the odds in your favor. And that's what we're here to do today is get the odds in your favor. Um, it's where people go to buy and sell securities or stocks or shares of companies that have issued those shares. So they are public companies. There are private companies, like my hedge fund was a private company. You couldn't publicly trade the shares of my hedge fund. It was a private company, but there are public companies that issue stock to the public. Uh, they're raising money in order to fund their business. And some have issued a thousand shares and some have issued 10,000 and some have issued a million and some have issued billions. Like the largest companies in the world, Apple and Amazon and Google have issued billions of shares. Wow. So, so that's the first thing is I say it's a market of stocks, right? The stock market is made up of a market of stocks and a lot of people ask me, where's the stock market going? And I like to analyze and invest in individual companies, not the overall market, because I believe that you can get an edge in the overall, in, in individual securities rather than the overall market. And people will ask me all the time, where do you think it's going? Where do you think it's going? And I can, I can get a sense as to what's happened in the past, what's likely to happen in the future, but the odds are against you, I think, in trying to predict any one day or any one week or any one month what the overall stock market is doing. And what we're here to do today is to talk about individual companies. I'm not going to be talking about the overall stock market. So, so, so let's talk first about why you'd want to invest in a stock. So you want to invest in a stock because you can become financially free by investing in stocks. In fact, the average return has been about 10% since 1970 over the last 50 years. So if you had invested $10,000 in 1970, you would have $1.2 million today. That's the power of compounding of 10% a year on $10,000 for 50 years. Very impressive, right? And so yes, you can become financially free in the stock market. You can become financially free in real estate and in your business, and there are many ways. But today we're, we're focused on the stock market. And the other reason why this investing in stocks is so powerful is the investment, that 10% return is outpaced inflation. So inflation is the increase in the price of goods and services, how much you pay for your McDonald's hamburger, if people are still going to McDonald's these days, or your Subway sandwich. That that's, has been going up recently by more than 4% the last few years. And two years, well, a year and a half ago, we'll say the inflation rate was very close to 10% domestically and internationally. And so in order to beat inflation over long periods of time, you need to have returns that are higher than inflation. Now, inflation has averaged about 3%, 3.5% over the last 25 years. But even at that pace, that means that your cost of that Subway sandwich has doubled over those years. So it's gone from $5 to $10. In order to keep up with that, you need to get a return on your investments that are at least that amount. And we just commented that the stock market overall 
has generated a 10% return. So um, I recommend investing in stocks because one, you can become financially free. Two, you're beating inflation. Uh, three, it's easy. And four, what's really great that has happened in the last five to 10 years is that there are no commission costs. So when you're buying real estate, you have to pay a real estate broker generally or an agent a fee. Usually it's two, 3%. Now in the stock market, if you're buying a stock or selling a stock, there's no commissions. That is great. So there, that that cuts into your expense, that your returns, and it had been, but now it's not. And the other thing that's great about stocks is you don't have to pay any taxes until you sell. Mm. So if you're holding for one, five, 10 years, you don't have to pay any taxes on the accumulation of your investments. How great is that? That's, yeah, exactly. So I teach fundamental and technical analysis. I have generally a more of a bent towards fundamental analysis. So let me explain fundamental analysis is when you're analyzing a company and looking at the company's income statement, how much money they're making, their balance sheet, what is the accounting measure of what they're worth, how much cash they're generating, and how is the company valued based on those measures of the actual company, what they're doing. Now, technical analysis doesn't look at the company as a company at all. All it looks at the company as a stock. And technical analysis just looks at prices of the stock, the stock price, and the volume. This, those are the only two measures that when you're a technical analyst, that's what you look at. And so we'll get into that in future episodes, but right now we're going to focus on fundamental analysis. So what I wanted to do first is just to find some terms because it's important to know these terms in order for you to understand what you're doing, if you're doing fundamental analysis. And uh, Randy, you know, I have in the nine money rules millionaires use a free five-step proprietary stock screen that we'll get into at some point as well. And in order to understand that five-step stock screen, you need to understand some terms that are on the balance sheet and on the income statement or summary of operations. Uh, it's also known as of a company. So let's dive into the balance sheet. And the balance sheet is where the assets and the liabilities and the equity of a company is. That, that, that's the statement where you find those items. So what are assets? So for a company like Apple, believe it or not, it has a huge amount of cash and short-term investments. Short-term meaning less than one year. So $194 billion in cash and short-term assets. The total assets of Apple, and this was this is data, this is a couple of years ago, uh, $317 billion. Hmm. But almost $200 billion of that three, so two-thirds of that, of the total assets is in cash and investments less than one year. Now, stocks are a separate category. And they don't invest in stocks. So it's just short-term investments like they're buying a treasury. Uh, the government issues short-term notes or bills 
three months, one month. So the government's borrowing money from you and me all day, every day. And Apple's bought some of those treasury bills and treasury notes that uh, mature in a month or three months or six months. And they're considered very low risk and they're getting a small return of two or three or 4%. So that's where most of the assets are of Apple. Most people don't know that it's not uh, they also have, uh, you know, property and, and plants and their, their iPads that haven't sold yet and their iPhones and their Air, AirPods, that AirPods that haven't been sold yet. Those are um, held as well as accounts receivable. But all of that only adds to another $100 billion. So it's really interesting that a company like Apple, and if you look at a lot of technology companies, most of their assets are in cash and short-term uh, investments. So those are assets. Uh, if you look at a financial company, like an insurance company or a bank, which is my specialty, financial companies, when I had my hedge fund, we only invested in financial stocks. And so you mentioned in 2008, the market was down 40%. Financial companies were down 57%. And we managed to make a little bit of money in 2008. And we were only investing in those companies were, that were going down a ton. Now we were hedged. So, you know, let me for a second explain hedge funds. Hedge funds, there's a thousand different types of hedge funds. My hedge fund was a stock fund and a bond fund, but we mostly invested in, in 2008, it was only stocks. And we were betting that some stocks were going to go up and other stocks were going to go down. So we were hedged a bit. Right. So we should make, we should go down less than the overall market when the market goes down. That's the idea of the hedge. And we should go up less than the market goes up when the market goes up. So that's a hedge fund. And so I was investing mostly in insurance companies and asset management companies, like mutual fund companies in 2008. And these companies have other assets like stocks, like bonds long-term bonds, long-term stocks, because they're trying to match the liabilities that they have to pay out. So insurance companies have to pay out claims. If you get into a car accident or your something happens to your home, they have to pay a claim. And so for a property or a casualty insurance company, usually the a lot of the claims are short. They have to pay them in a year. So they're investing a lot in bonds. But in life insurance companies, you buy a life insurance policy, you may buy it, you know, right now you're going to live another 30 years. That policy is going to stick around for 30 years. They have to have long-term assets. So they buy long-term bonds and stocks. And so on the balance sheet, you'll see investments. Most of insurance companies' assets are in investments long-term. Now, Apple, we saw most of it's in investments too, but it's short-term. And I mentioned at the beginning that I'm not necessarily into stocks. So one question that's going off in my mind, I just wanted to throw out there to you in case the listeners is having the same one is if you find these income statements and balance sheets for these companies with them being a public company, is it readily available? Is it just going to their, like going to Apple's website? Is it, yep. is it all there even for these yeah, insurance so, companies too? So we'll get into all of that when we get into my okay. five steps. Stocks I'm getting a little ahead yes, of myself. But, but no, it's a great, great question. And yes, what's really great is in the last 10 or 15 years, the companies are putting all the information on their website. So okay. 15 years ago, in the early 2000s and before, 
you had to call the company to get the information. Some companies would put it on the website. You had to have special databases like Bloomberg or FactSet or SMP. Um, nowadays, even if you're a small investor and investing on, you know, Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade, which is now owned by Schwab or Fidelity or Vanguard, all of them, you, you can do click on research and then you'll see all this information and you'll actually see the press release of the company's uh, earnings every quarter and it'll show the balance sheet and the income statement or consolidated statement of operations. Same name. All right. Same at, the, at the click of a button, it's all in one yeah. place, basically, huh? You just all have to have place. the particular and, stock or company that you're looking for. And so what I like to do is go to the company's website because you never know with secondhand information. I, I when I, I was a credit analyst or equity analyst, a portfolio manager, I want to talk to the company right? Primary information. I want to talk to Randy Wilson about Randy Wilson. I don't want to talk to some podcast that you were on where they interviewed you. And then this guy's talking about you that, you know, sometimes, you know, the telephone game where like you, you, somebody told somebody something who told another person, you get to the end of the chain. It's a completely different message. <laughs> sure. Well, you can get that from, you know, Fidelity or Vanguard, or even an analyst, the analyst. They're professional analysts at Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and a lot of other firms that are writing up reports on Apple and every other company. So you're getting secondhand information. They're saying, okay, the CEO said this, but you're getting their translation of what the CEO said from their point of view. So I go right, I go to the website. So that the answer to your question is I just go right to the primary information. The company reported a set out a press release, it's on the website, sitting there, I see all the numbers. It's not summarized, it's not consolidated with other things, it's right there. So that's where I find the balance sheet. So the next, uh, so let's continue with the balance sheet and talk about liabilities. I started talking a little bit about liabilities. So for Apple, for example, their biggest liability is debt. Hmm. Despite the fact that they don't really need to borrow money, it's interesting that the largest companies in the world will borrow when they can at very low interest rates. So a couple of years ago, when interest rates were one or two or 3%, Apple could borrow all day long at 2%. And they, two years ago on this balance sheet that I'm looking at, is has $122 billion of debt. And that debt could be 30 years, it could be 10 years. You know, some people will lend money to Apple and they'll issue debt for 50 years. So 122 billion of their 245, almost 50% of their liabilities is just debt that they've issued. And so think about it as an individual. A lot of people think debt's bad. And I, I talk about uh, in, in part two, chapter one, in the nine money rules millionaires use, I, the, the chapter title is, is credit good or bad? And it depends. For Apple, it's great to borrow at 2% and then sell, you know, an iPad or, or iPhone and generate a 10 or 20% return on that. They'll do that all day long. That spread is huge. So if you are an individual can borrow at 2 or 3% or nowadays 4 or 5 and then invest in the stock market, which some of my colleagues did. I'm not saying to leverage yourself, but some of my colleagues did at City when things looked really, really bad. They said, well, if the world's ending, 
then we got a lot more problems. We're gonna we're gonna borrow from our credit card. I'm not saying do this, but they were able to borrow from their credit card at 15% and get 50 to 100% returns, and then pay the credit card borrowings back within three or six months. Uh, so credit's only bad if you're borrowing at a rate that's higher than you can earn. And so Apple knows it's good to borrow when rates are low. They may not be borrowing as much say, as they did two or three years ago because rates have gone up a lot. But 50% of their liabilities is in debt. And then the others, other liabilities are, you know, the accounts that they have to, you know, their their vendors that they have to pay, the the component parts of the phones, the iPads, the 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 earbuds, and so on. Um, and, and then all the other products that they're making. So that's that's the and then let's finish up the balance sheet here which so what's most important about the balance sheet is assets minus liabilities that's a company's shareholders equity some people call it she shareholders s-h-e shareholders equity uh, and that's the accounting value of the company and the accounting value of the company is just what the accountants based on all their generally accepted accounting principles say is the equity of the company and the book value of the company, we'll get into ratios probably next time. The book value of the company is just that equity, shareholders' equity, assets minus liabilities divided by the outstanding shares. And so that's an accounting measure of what is a company worth. When you hear book value, that's the accountant saying, okay, this company is worth. So if Apple's assets minus liabilities two years ago was $72 billion dollars. That's what Apple is worth from the accountant's point of view. Now, today and back then, Apple was worth a lot more than that. And we can get into why next time, I think. But uh, you know, nowadays, Apple's worth over $2 trillion. And its equity hasn't gone up by 100 times. <laughs> so, and, and there's a reason why um, that differential is large. So that's the balance sheet. I don't know if you have questions about that. So the so the arbitrage piece that you're that's what I call it, right? The idea of borrowing low when you when you're so you just want to be careful, listeners, right? When you're borrowing, you just need to make sure that you're sophisticated with that money, right? It's not gambling. You're doing it with certainty or relative certainty, right? So if you're relative certain that you can get a return, just use round numbers, right? Borrowing at four, and you can you're certain that you're going to get a return of. 10 or whatever, that spread, that spread between the four and the 10. So that's extra 6%. That is your profit as an investor, right? So I talk about that a lot on the, on the podcast, but usually in terms of uh, real estate or something like that. So that's where it's the same exact idea or concept sense. when it comes to looking at businesses with the stock market as well, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. So you want to attach a probability to your return. Yeah. The, the debt interest rate is, you know, the credit, you know, what you're borrowing at is fixed, right? So you know that number, it's four or 5%, right? So you, you want to attach a probability to you making 10% or 8% or 20% and, and do that calculation as opposed to saying, well, I know I'm, I'm, I'm likely to get 10. I mean, the stock market has averaged 10 on average over, we said 50 years, right? So, and my colleagues who were risk takers, we were hedge fund managers, they were, believing that this was a great investment to borrow and leverage and invest because the likelihood of getting a lot more than 15% back in, you know, the end of 2008, early 2009 was very high. 
according to them. I was still worried about the world ending. So I didn't do any of that. It took me six months for me to get what, what's called long. We were short betting the market was going to go down or betting that mo more stocks were going to go down than up. And then it took me till middle of 2009 to realize, okay, things, the world's not ending and I'll start investing in more companies that are going to go up than down. Which is where it's going to be fascinating to kind of see kind of what's going on in today's environment, right? In 2023, I, I hear both sides of that story. It's gloom and doom. The world's coming to an end. And also it's sunshine and rainbows and everything's just going to keep on going, right? And it's always fascinating to try to pick apart those ideas. So getting your insight about how to do it accurately, right? Based on a specific stock. And I think you pointed that out at the beginning as far as you're not doing it in uh, mutual funds and you're not doing it like in a, a so when I think of uh, 401ks and people that, people that are quote unquote in the stock market, it's usually through 401ks and they're invested in mutual funds, right? Which is a, a package of companies versus you're talking about specific down in the weeds, learning the numbers, reading the numbers, right? And then making a, a determination whether or not that uh, individual company based on their share price is cheap or expensive, right? Is that is that correct? The gist exactly. of and and so I, mo you're right. Most people aren't invested, even though they may not know they're invested in the stock market through the 401k or the retirement plan, a uh, 403b or 457. You know, depending if they work as a teacher in the government, the different uh, IRS codes. But the point being, they're all invested in the stock market. And what I'm what we're doing is teaching individual stock investing. Uh, a lot of people come to me and say, oh, I have a financial planner who's put me into this mutual fund and that mutual fund. And he's a great, uh, great mutual fund picker. You know, he can pick the mutual fund. Well, I will, I will tell you, most mutual fund portfolio managers are not beating the stock market overall. And, you know, a lot of financial planners are trying to find the ones that will beat that 10% return over 50 years. It's very hard to do for long periods of time. So I'd rather have you learn how to do it yourself so that you can have a portion of your own money and maybe not all, but a portion of your own money that's generating much more than the average index of 10%. And that's where folks, when it comes to myself here on this podcast and with Joel here, that's why we get along so well is because that's the idea is taking control of your own money and your time, right? Instead of giving it to other people, it's taking back responsibility for your own investments and learning how to do that, which is exactly why I wanted to have this, uh, this series, we're calling it a series with Joel here to teach us because he's teaching me too, right? I know some basics, uh, but I don't necessarily know the ins and outs. And I'm actually going to be taking this information and I'm going to be applying it as well. I have a little bit of ex experience in some real estate and businesses and that type of thing. But as far as like through the stock market, uh, that is not my cup of tea. But that's exactly why we've brought Joel on here for these uh, these next series of episodes here. But for today, Joel, I think that that's probably a great place to, to put a pin in this one today. Folks, it's just getting an idea of learning. So maybe you're not even familiar with the terms, income statements, balance sheets. Uh, I asked the question, where do we even go to find that information? The best part about it is, is don't let that overwhelm you. The, once you learn, start learning what terms mean, uh, how to access the information, the numbers will actually start telling you a story. 
And what I'm really hoping, and I know Joel is going to do a great job of, of taking uh, that information and then putting it in a, a bite-sized chunks that you can consume and then start taking some action, right? The idea is that you're going to be able to take this information. Go, You can go to Apple's website right now and do exactly what he just said. Pull up their current financial statement and do the math yourself. See what their assets, see what their liabilities are. He was mentioning that it was about $72 billion total uh, of equity in the business. This was two or three years ago. I'd be curious to, and you might know, but we'll talk about that in the future, but what that number is uh, in 2023. And you can go do that. And that's kind of the point. So with that said, Joe, I'm looking forward to this next episode. We're going to get into some key terms, uh, just really making this really as super simple as we possibly can so people can be, take this and, and really be actionable with it. Is there any other final thoughts for this first episode here of this series? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know this. So I just want to let the viewers and listeners know this, that I give everybody 30 minutes free. If there's something that you want to dive into deeper you know, it's, it's on, you know, just go to my website, salamore.com. You could sign up for a free prosperity coaching session. Absolutely free. No, uh, it's not a sales uh, call. It's an information call to get you to understand what we're doing here better. So just know that there's, it's, it, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to jump on a 30 minute sales call. No, this is for you to understand what we're talking about here better. Well, Joel and I have had the opportunity to get to know each other really well over the last years, about 12 months or so. And I will tell you folks that take him up on that. He is genuinely uh, serious. He just wants to help people become financially free. He tells me that all the time. That's his goal. And his secret sauce is the stock market. So he's got the mindset piece, which we will get into that pieces of that too, when it comes to the stock market also. And we'll cover that in some different, uh, uh, in part of the series down in the future. But when you combine the mindset with the financial education, which is exactly what Joel's going to bring us here in this series. Your future is, is for the taking. You can do and create anything you want. And he wants to help you do that. And so do I. It's not just Joel. I want to do that too, which is the reason why we're, we're producing this, this content. So hopefully you found today valuable. Uh, reach out to Joel. Jump on a 30-minute call. Uh, ask him some questions. Uh, I guarantee you, you'll leave that call better than when you started. So Joel, appreciate your time today. I look forward to uh, the next time we get to jump on and go a little bit deeper in, into this uh, stock market topic. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Randy. Appreciate you. Excellent. So folks go out there, make it a fantastic day. And until the next episode in this series, bye now. Thank you for joining me on the Rich Mind Podcast. I hope you found a ton of value in this episode. If so, I'd really appreciate a five-star review. And you can also share it with your family and friends. And as my mentor, Jim Roden, shared with me, in order to have more, you must first become more. And in order to become more, you must work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So go out there today and work harder on yourself to become more and build the life of your dreams. Until next time, my friends.